Hello awesome marketer. Let me ask you a question before we start today's episode. Are you looking to plan your content calendar more efficiently, save time across your team and publish social content like a pro? If so, you're in luck because Planable allows you to do this and much more. Planable is the content collaboration tool that makes it easy for marketing teams to preview, plan, approve and publish social media content six times faster for Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Google My Business and TikTok, all in one place. So go to planable.io slash old school to find out more. Our podcast listeners will get 30% off for three months by using the coupon code old school after choosing the plan that fits your needs. Once again, go to www.planable.io slash old school and get 30% off for three months by using the coupon old school at checkout. I cannot wait to see you breezing through your content and your plan like a pro. Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. I'm going to say what up now, because I'm feeling like, what up? <laughs> <laughs> so team uh dear listener we have a treat because it's not going to be two of us today it's going to be three of us so welcome tux welcome jesse how are we doing tux first how are we doing in one word let's just say splendiferous splendiferous <laughs> jesse how are we doing i'm a bit worried about your answer now <laughs> uh i'm gonna go with good because i'm not a freak dude what the hell kind of word? <laughs> yeah i'm good <laughs> Fab, thanks for having me. I'm a normal person. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the listeners will know we, we rarely hang out with normal people. So it's okay, Jesse. It's okay. It's totally fine. Talks. Okay. Well, we're going to start by having you introduce yourselves just because I asked you to do so. But I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here with us. It's going to be a wild, incredibly fun and serendipitous ride, just to use fun words myself. And again, I would love you to tell us a bit more about both of you so that we can start talking about big words, fun things, and everything in between. Awesome. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. My name is Tucker, uh, affectionately referred to by folks who know me, such as Fab, as Tux. And I am a poet and keynote speaker uh, who left my job at Google in product marketing uh, to start helping businesses grow by exploring the intersection between innovation and poetry. Um, so in addition to the course that me and Jesse uh, have designed and are, are here going to talk to Fab about today, I also do keynote presentations at conferences and write flowery words about jasmine tea and stuff, and it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Jesse, what about yourself? Thank you, Fab. I, um, I'm Jesse. I'm a ex-software engineer. I used to work at Microsoft and SpaceX and then a, a small AI startup, and then I left. Uh, tech to take a year off to learn uh, something diametrically opposite of that. I wanted to try just something completely different, so I thought about either becoming a 
comedian or a rapper. And then I, I legitimately flipped a coin and then I decided, uh, well, they landed on comedian. So I, I started trying to do comedy, just learning about it, no interest in it prior. Uh, but then I never went back to tech and I just did it every day for the last five or six years now, every day. Uh, so I just really like learning about it and dissecting it and reverse engineering it. I was truly horrendous at it for so long. And then after a year, a few years, I started this tech roast company called Socially Inept, where we travel to different tech cities around the country, uh, this band of former techies turned comedians. And we, we put on these really big shows for people in the tech industry, and that seems to be pretty well received. And then on top of that, I create content and uh, teach and uh, do little cute little videos and stuff. Yeah. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, um, Jesse, if, if you were going to be a rapper, who would have been your biggest inspiration? My biggest inspiration? I'm a big Young Thug fan. I, I think I draw a lot of inspiration from him. I already have my rap aliases picked out. I would have been The Chemist's Daughter is my top choice. Wow. Second choice was The Doggy Style Dragon. Third choice was uh, The Local Blacksmith. So I, I had it all. Like I honestly like had a pretty like solid game plan and timeline laid out. But fate, uh, as fate would have it, I, I, I didn't. I, I still uh, enjoy rap and I do uh, like rapping. And whenever I tell people I like to freestyle rap, Literally, the first reaction I get from women in particular is that's the least attractive thing I've ever heard a man say, which I don't understand. It's just like me pursuing an art form. Why can't that be cool? And you haven't even heard me. I might be good. Hey, I genuinely. No, not I, you. I'm ready not for you. it. I'm I mean, ready for it. Oh, okay, because I was like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Yes, if you want to, like, I'm, we can turn it. Like, people are here to hear anything. Like, we're professionals, but the marketers are like, yeah, bring it down the rap. They're, they're all for it. Our listeners are pretty yeah. wild, so. Okay, cool. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to ask you, um, both of you, I guess, but a lot of what you do in different forms as well is about storytelling. You can even add, obviously, music in it is a big form of storytelling. And I am a storyteller myself, so to me, it comes natural. Telling stories, trying to get people's attention, trying to make them laugh, probably not as good as you, Jesse, but do my best. The Italian in me goes out and it gets a couple of little smiles every so often. But not everybody, some people find it really daunting. And sometimes it's hard to remember that when you're on the other side and it comes can come really natural or you can just find the flow with it. So what would be the first thing that you would say to someone that actually feels, oh God, I have to tell a story, whether it's about themselves or about something else. What do you think is the first thing they need to bear in mind when they're approaching that? Either of you can start and obviously then the other one can tag on. Oh man, yeah, I have... I have two thoughts, but mm. the question was for one, so I'm just going to pick one. I like to think, so it, the way that you phrase the question, I'm thinking of a person as standing up and telling a story um, and assuming that that's correct. I like to think of my like stage persona as its own person. I think that part of what makes public speaking stressful sometimes is feeling like whatever reactions you get are so personal and so tied to, to the person that you see yourself as off stage, but that both makes it a more stressful experience and can kind of stop you from exploring, you know, what could be potentially the best way to use yourself as a vessel to communicate your story. So I like to think of myself as going into kind of different mode, having stage tucks 
and it kind of both serves as a sort of defense mechanism against that that really uh, intimate and and vulnerable feeling when you're on stage, and also lets me play around with stuff that uh, that I might not if I was thinking of myself too much as the kind of person I am when I'm you know just playing my video games or whatever else I waste my time with. I like that. Tucker, I, yeah, I used to, I actually experimented with having like a legitimate like alter ego with like a name and like a totem that triggered me jumping into the alter ego. I had a ring that was, um, nice. that I used, but I, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't go through it with that for very long, but okay. So the, but the first thing I would do is, or the first thing I would have them think about is trying to relive the experience. That's like the highest priority thing in my mind, especially if it's improvised, like especially if they haven't scripted it. So what's actually happening when you're telling a story, at least when I'm doing it, there's a, I can see a picture in my head. Like I can actually see it happening if I'm paying attention. Um, you have to get real quiet in your head, but you can see it if you're uh, paying attention. And then that way I'm actually reacting to pictures rather than trying to uh, recite words. So my reactions are authentic and genuine. And I've tried to do it. I've tried to contrive a way to get it to be as authentic through rehearsal and recitation. Oh, Jesus, that's so embarrassing. That's not a word, Reci like whatever the noun form of reciting is. Recitation, Tucker, no? Yeah, re yes? recital or recitation, they both work. It sounds like I'm trying to bring somebody back to life, recitation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, resuscitation uh, so i uh so yeah so so to, to actually pay attention to what's happening the pictures that are in your head and to react honestly to them mm. i love that i mean both of both of those and actually the latter process almost okay far-fetched but it kind ish reminds me of on writing which is Stephen King's book about writing and he talks about actually using your imagination to bridge the gap between what you see and obviously what your reader sees and understanding kind of how that kind of matches together and it's very simple I think it was about the rabbit on the cage in the cage on the table and he talks about that and he's like now you can see it as you're reading and now I can see it as I'm writing it and by doing that, we create that connection. And I think at first, especially whichever way you are actually expressing your stories, I, I work a bit like yourself, Jesse, in the way that I can see it for myself. And it's more about the visual and the feelings even before it actually gets expressed. And in a way, I think I also relate to, and I think a lot of people might relate to that idea of putting, not that persona often, but without realizing that we might do that, whichever way that might be. And I think it's kind of understanding, and that reflects a question back to you, Tux, is, you know, how do you get comfortable in that persona? Or how do you understand what that persona is like without necessarily, without necessarily turning into somebody that you are not, unless you would recommend that, you know, like if you're really shy, actually turning into somebody that's really loud and proud and tries try to be somebody else, because that's contentious as well. Some people say don't, some people say do, people say play. So what's your opinion on that? Yeah, for me at least, I think the way you get to know that persona is the same way you get to know a friend. It's just you spend time with them, honestly. Like, I I don't think it's easy necessarily to to know all the you know personal or stage qualities that your storytelling self can have unless you've just written a lot of stories and performed them, but also you know spent time workshopping them, etc. And so. 
whenever there's an opportunity for me to explore something that's happened that might be good as a story at some point, I like to, you know, do my best to, to draft it or just spend a little bit of time figuring out what that event feels like in my own retelling. So yeah, I think for folks who are in careers where storytelling is, is, uh, is important. That's, you know, par for the course, but for folks who are not, it takes maybe a little bit more of a willingness to kind of just, you know, have that play as you, I think the word was used and, um, and explore when they're in their own time and figure out what, what feels good, what doesn't feel good and, and kind of go from there. I love it. I'm going to add a little extra element here and pass the virtual ball to Jesse again. So listener, imagine mm. whichever ball you want, you know, whichever ball you want is going to be that one. I mean, Tux is actually not visual medium, but is throwing the ball. So you can imagine him throwing mm. the ball as well. You're welcome. And the ball goes, um, do funny, being funny, jokes, you know, that levity. What a, (laughs) and like, you know, what does it add to a story or what does it add to a pitch or a presentation? Again, going Mm -hmm. about, should we force it? Should we, how can we flex the muscle or whatever that might be? Let's talk about being funny. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's cool being funny. I think it, um, I I have yet to find something that endures a performer to an audience quicker than humor. Um, I'm sure that's up to up for debate, but it makes you likable. That's it'd be hard to dispute that. Um, everybody likes somebody who is funny. It's actually cool. They're, they're actually studying it in like labs and stuff a lot now, in particular with leadership and like, bosses or CEOs who introduce levity uh, into the workplace, they're just like across the board viewed as more competent and the workplace is just a, a better place. Am I, am I arguing for the value of humor or like how to incorporate it into a story? I think, I think people are pretty on board with the idea that humor is good. I am totally on board. Are we anti-humor like... here? Are you sure? Fab? Are you sure you're not anti-humor? Oh, come on. Anti-humor is a good form come of on. humor. Bab is the least, she's the most austere person I think I've ever, I've never seen her crack a joke, make a smile, pass yeah. a virtual ball. So I'm pretty sure she is on the end. We're <laughs> trained. No, but yeah, I think about incorporating humor because it can right. sound, again, daunting for a lot of people going back to all the different steps we have to take to tell a story. And then we have to add that. Mm-hmm. We feel that, as you say, it's proven that it can help, but people are like, how do I go about it? Right. Yeah. Well, there's... A structure, right? So this is what people that I like to, this is what, this was what was super eye-opening to me. So I thought jokes and like people who were funny, it was just this super mystic thing. Like you either have it or you don't. That's because I didn't give much thought into it. I never identified as a funny person. And then um, I started studying jokes, looking for patterns and it could be reverse engineered and there's a structure to it. So when you learn the structure of what a joke looks like, the smallest unit of a, uh, the smallest unit of humor, they have some things that apply across every single instance, every single implementation. So if you learn those things, well, first um, it'll be, feel clunky. You'll try to apply it and it'll look a little forest, but just like any other skill, you'll go through that process of, what is it? Unconscious incompetence. That's where I was for like literally 23 years of my life to uh, conscious incompetence and then to conscious competence where you're actually writing jokes, but you have to like try really hard to 
to write them. And then uh, what a funny person is, is just a consciously competent person who implements joke structure. That's all that is. So it's just like any other skill. Yet for some reason in the world, people like hold humor in this, in its own category where it's like, you either have this or you don't. But nobody thinks that about basketball or the guitar. It's just like anything. It can only be learned. You can only learn it. I love that. And actually, what what is interesting to me is that snooping about your course, which I know at time of recording is, is coming soon, but you can put yourself into the waiting list. Just check the show notes as always. Well done, dear listener. <laughs> There's a lot of frameworks. And I like that. Again, nerd, nerd. I like frameworks. I like to see that the kind of learning paths and knowing that if you apply something, you can start seeing the results. And first of all, so kudos to that, because I know it sounds obvious, but it's not. A lot of the time you think that when it comes to that, you can just teach. And the framework really helps people kind of get in the grips to some of the concepts. But also wanted to ask you, maybe asking you to pick one of your babies. Is there one framework for each of you? So it might be the same, might be separate. That you think is the one that really is the fundamental that you would say you really hold dear to how to go from idea to ovation. I, th- I know that everything works together, but if there's one that you think this is the one that I've seen really people make a big leap or a big change when it comes to their presenting, storytelling skills, out of all the things you teach, which one would it be? Dun, 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 dun. Mm. Well, that's such a good question. Yeah. I don't have my <clears throat> reply fully formed, but Tucker's really been nice about jumping and answering first here, so I'll, I'll let him <laughs> have <some> time to ponder. <clears throat> For me, it's probably... Well, I was thinking about it. A- <laughs> Okay. Go cool. ahead. What? what, what are you, no, go, go. Oh, you no, know, I, I thought you were passing. You, you sounded like you were. You you had no idea what you wanted to say, so you were looking for a save. So I thought I was I was helping you out, but it sounds oh, like I you're see. you're ready this time. So go ahead. Uh, expectation surprise. That's probably the big one uh, for me. So like recognizing in any speech or text when the audience uh, has some form of expectation, right? So. As we're talking, if you begin like an idiot, idi- idiomatic phrase, you like the audience who's familiar with that phrase, they fill it in. Your 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 audience's brain it just auto completes stuff. That's what's happening. There's a an, an assumptions being made constantly when people are, are talking or reading. So learning to recognize when expectation is created is the is the best way to keep people engaged because one, you need surprise. Surprise is the only universal element of every joke you it needs to be surprising in some way and people are like in a lot of comedy classes they're like okay write a joke and then people are like what's funny that's so useless and detrimental start that it's hard it's hard i can't do that i can't be like okay well what's funny about this don't start there start with what is the audience expecting what what assumptions are being made right now and then that gives you a place to start forming ways to subvert that expectation. It's much more concrete that way because you can actually get a sense of what the audience is anticipating. Love it. Yeah, he definitely didn't take the answer that I wanted to give, which is super convenient for me. But no, the the, the answer that I was thinking actually is kind of, it. the expectation surprise applies to how poetry can fit into the way we tell stories and the way we express our ideas but i was thinking about this uh this framework of complex complexifying what's simple and simplifying what's complex which is something that i think poetry is 
is particularly well situated to do. So on the first side, when we're telling a story, if we're happy or we're sad and we want to communicate that, we can often get more power out of communicating that emotion by comparing it to something that that makes an emotion that feels somewhat simple and almost ambiguous feel more complex and rich. So if it's that our happiness reminds us of a pair of well-worn sneakers we had when we were a kid, adding a detail like that in can make something that in the listener's mind starts off as being simple a lot more interesting. And on the flip side, uh, simplifying the complex, a lot of us obviously were in tech-related spaces. A lot of us are pitching to clients or to partners, etc., who don't have a lot of background in the ideas that we're bringing to them. And those ideas often are somewhat high level. And finding ways to use tools like metaphor, like analogy, to connect a complicated and technical idea to something the audience already has experience with can do a lot of the work for you in getting folks to a place where they understand what you're bringing to them without having to have any real experience with it. So this is kind of a theme in how poetry shows up in, in the things that we teach is if something feels simple, complexify it. And if it feels complex, find a way to simplify. There's so much goodness. I just want to... All right, Fab, whose answer is better? <laughs> yeah, oh. give it... Well, we only got one vote on the call, so... <laughs> So it's not really fair. Well, I could say both of your answers were great, but also, uh, I okay, this is a fun fact that the listener doesn't know. My first ever award was age 10 when I won my first poetry award, and I won five. No kidding! Yes! Wow. I'm a writer, so I'm sorry, Jesse. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Represent. Dope. So uh, that's why I was like, metaphors, yes, alliterations, give me more. Onomatopoeias, bring them in. That's kind of where, that's where I live. Yeah. But <laughs> so I am fun, I swear. I swear I'm fun. People are like, oh, God. Um, but to be honest, when you think about some of the big, um, and we, again, when we got both of these lovely gentlemen to actually give us some more of their wisdom in one of our sessions uh, for all marketing school. And you, you gave us some examples of some great ideas and some great concepts like this short snippet one-liners. And, you know, these one-liners, we, you talked about, you know, things like alliterations as well. And they really come from simple things because you don't have a lot of space. You don't have a lot of words to use. And I think there are so many great examples of making ideas stick with one sentence. So, again, I love both of them, but I will say I slightly go more towards the poetry just because of my background. But... It goes to my next question, which is a hard one. So we'll see who wants to pick it first again. Mm. Start thinking. One-liners. It can be from anything. It doesn't have to be from business. It can be from even like a movie. I, I don't mind. A one-liner, one short sentence that really stuck with you and why. Boom. <laughs> oh, I heard one last night that I really liked. That oh. It was so good that um, it, stopped, it stopped me in my tracks. And I, the first thing I was like, I was like, was that yours? Is that your line? And he was like, no, he doesn't know where you heard it. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, different is better than better. And mm. I thought that was incredible because I was talking about, he was asking me about comedy and I, I, I value originality, 
in originality more than I value somebody just being funny. It, I think that's because I, I just like watch so much stand up that like when something's different, I'm my interest is peaked more than when somebody's getting laughs with something that I've like heard something similarly. So, so then he was like, different is better than better. And I was like, yeah, 100%, 110%. That's true. And this, this works for a couple different reasons. It's short, different is better than better. And it, it uses a technique called polyptotum, where the same word is used in different parts of speech. Better is used as uh, the first different is better. So better, what is that? Adjective. And then the second time better is used is a noun, right? Better than better, right? Tucker, I haven't analyzed this yet. So, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think you got it right so far. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so it's using the same word in like different ways that, that uh, it's polyptotone or different, like if you use like better and betterment, that would also be polyptotone. But this was cool because not only is it using it, using polyptotone, but it's also using pure repetition and the brain loves repetition of the same word. Epizuxis is the technical term of just like, like location, location, location. It's epizuxis, rhetorical device. So it's... It's layering on these different rhetorical devices, polyptotin, epizuxis, while still being maximally concise. It's almost a paradox too. Like how, how do you get, like how something better than be the, the thing itself better? Like different is better than better. It's, it, it, it's so complex in this tiny, tiny line. It, it's just, it's, it's beautiful to me. It like, it stopped me. I stopped what I was doing to like, Think about this sentence because it was so impactful to me. Mm, damn, this is something that I envy about Jesse is his ability to like, feel like he's he's like a walking catalog of insights. Like, ser like seriously, this sounds like a meme, but I just I I really admire how he just moves throughout the world and is like constantly absorbing and. Uh, uh, this is also an excuse for me to have not remembered uh, a one-liner <laughs> that I've heard within the last three months. <laughs> um, that would be as interesting as that one. No, the the a line that I think about a lot, just because of how many people have gravitated to slash found value wisdom in it, uh, is the one from James Clear's Atomic Habits. He has the the kind of um, the rapper line that says. We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And for those of us who, who took the alt marketing school uh, workshop on, you know, what me and Jesse taught, <laughs> you might you might be able to recognize uh, right from the jump that that's an example of antithesis being used um, because he starts out by saying what we don't do and then flipping the sentence and telling us that we actually do do the opposite thing. There's this uh, this like really valuable balance in creating a one-liner that comes when we start with a thing that you do and then tell people that the opposite is what's actually true, especially if it violates some common wisdom. And both in the way that he structured that, that line uh, with verbs, but also with a balanced rhythm, right? That sound sticks in your mind. We don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. There's a certain musicality in there 
that I'm sure also you fab as a poet can, can, can appreciate. And, um, yeah, it's always interesting for me when I hear folks reference that line, uh, to just think, man, like this guy really just nailed these techniques and this, this musicality, whether or not it was intentional. And that is the recipe to creating a line that'll stick in somebody's head. So it's, it's always cool to see the impact of that line just happening in real time. People talk about, if you're about this book, Atomic Habits, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> I certainly have. Yeah. I love that line, dude. Yeah. Both of these lines, I would get tattooed on the inside of my bicep, I think. Nice. Uh, and that's, that's a big compliment, I think. Is that a clear Where sign of a good line? Is that like a clear sign of if a good you, line? If you see a if you see like a gym bro with it on tattooed on the inside of his bicep, oh let it! Oh my God, you have it there. That's actually crazy. Damn! Yeah, right? Right? That's. I got actually, if you can't see it. If you can't see it, I was showing one of my million of tattoos, and he's let it go. It was on, on the inside of your bicep, though. That was the crazy part. Incredible. That was. That's why I thought. Wow. Wait, so I have a question for both of you now. In, oh. in terms of like primus real estate for tattoo space, where does inside of the bicep rank? Like, is it like the, like, I'm saving my best tattoo space or my best tattoo for saying, my inner bicep? I can fit a few tattoos there, dude. I'm Jack. So I'm not like holding it <laughs> in that high esteem, right? I got, so I got space for that. days there. So I could get, I get a font. I could get a yeah, I could get a novel on the inside of my left one, man. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't have tattoos. I know I seem okay. like a guy with them, but but Fab, you you have tattoos. I think my, um, well, I have twenty one, so I can tell you there's there's a lot of different places, but I think Jeez. my favorite. You, you wouldn't tell, by the way, even if you've seen me or seen pictures, you wouldn't tell because a lot of them are like on the top of my body, especially my back, but. My favorite is on my collarbone, and that's probably a good prime one unless I constantly wear mm. turtlenecks, which I'm not the turtleneck person. I know I like stereotype poetries, but, um, and he says, <laughs> right, what if something wonderful happened? That's the one that I have here. And the mm. collarbone is a good one. And I think that's, that's a good one because it's not necessarily on, I have a couple around, you know, the back of my ears, but I've got long hair, so you can't see them. So that's a really good one. But yeah, biceps can be a funny one because again, it, if you want to show it off, then it's a cool one to show off. And there were some really funny stories about like McDonald's getting people to get tattoos of, of their logos in different places just to see prime estate and people will get paid a different amount of money. So, you know, there's there's something in that, but wow. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Man, y'all inspiring me. Okay, inner <laughs> bicep is going to, I'm going to save that for the, the top one-liner. We'll, we'll Someone... figure out what it is, but. It works well for a one-liner. I'll give you that much. Collarbone can be also a good one, but it's a bit more subtle. But then when people see it, it really stands out. So just Didn't for anybody we else. We wanted to get matching tattoos, right, Tucker? We wanted to get unemployable tattooed on our necks. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was the forehead, right? I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a stamp. Uh, I'm still down. <laughs> we want a picture evidence of that happening when it happens please and thank you i'm actually down tucker's like joking and being stupid i'm no i I'm think serious. it's actually like okay okay and i i get like a I, I have this all right this is this part's a joke but i can i have an image in my mind now of like you know you meet some person at a bar and find you find out they're like a, you know they work at some company that might want to hire you and they say hey you should hit me up if you want a job and as you're walking out of the bar 
you say, sorry, I'm, and then you turn back towards them and you unemployable wherever the, the tattoo happens. See, to be. see, in my, in my, in my, uh, hypothetical, I'm already shirtless. So I just have to turn around and it's across my upper back. So they just see it already. Damn. I don't oh, have man, to lift that's, it up. Lift it up. Yeah. It Light's dimmed. dominance. <laughs> yeah. Spotlight, light's <laughs> dimmed. And you turn around like it. Yeah. <laughs> that is a vision. That is a vision to fill. Well, with that tangent, um, I do love a good tangent. Um, so actually, that's a good question for the listener. What would be a sentence that you would want to get tattooed on your body, dear listener? So think about that, a sentence or a word and why. That's something like food for thought for everyone. Homework, as always, I give you. You're welcome. But I have one more question for my two peeps. I mean, we could talk for a lot longer, but Jesse already woke up really early for us, so I shall not keep him for too long. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm in the zone now. I just felt like shit when I woke up. <laughs> It's, it's way too, it's entirely too early. Yeah. I feel good now. You guys, are, you, the energy you're giving me has been very, um, it's feeding me. Score! We've done our job, dear listener. But you listening, you helped us as well. And obviously, my dear gentleman helped too. Um, the listener hasn't helped me at all. They, they haven't done anything for me. You've How could they me. have possibly impacted me? They've done nothing for me at this point. See, I have just, the connection. Jesse, that's where it lays. That's where it lays. Just, just trying um, to keep it honest with them. They haven't... Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, so, let's give them one more thing to think about then. And my last thing would be, we're going through all this journey, and I'm also trying to map a bit of the journey of the course, which you can tell us at the end a bit more about what's coming up with that. But we finish off with presenting our story or our idea. And we talked a bit about that as well with the persona and everything else, but what would be the biggest, okay, you can choose a mistake or misconception when it comes to going out there and present or share a story. Let's say in a business, let's say in a more business perspective, let's kind of bring it down to that, a bit more specific. So it would be either a big mistake or a misconception that you think people have when it comes to that. Tux, you go first this time. Bam, boom. Okay. My 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 number one here is that doing the okay. I don't know how to phrase this yet, so we'll work on the one liner together. But people have this implicit belief that following best practices when they're giving a speech, or specifically in a business context, is good. I think those best practices that you know. We've seen other people use during their QBRs or during their presentations to their teams hold us way back. And we can like our, our top goal is to be memorable because we all see so many presentations at work that only communicate 20% of what they have to say because we're not engaged. So the first thing, it's not, it's not your, it's not your content. That's here's, here's what the line will be. People think your content is the most important thing. <laughs> we got there. People think your content is the most important thing. I think your energy is the most important thing. Your content is the least important thing in your presentation. Dude. And if you figure Look out at Tucker how to de deploying antithesis improvisationally, that's that's unconscious yes. competence. Yes, that was cool, dude. Way to go. Improv is what it's all about. Yeah. So I just think you know when when you have an opportunity to present to partners, manager, whatever, you know, our best practices keep us safe, but they prevent us from being able to leave the kind of impression that we need in order to advance in whatever it is we're doing. And so 
taking risks is actually the safest thing I think you can do in that context. Hmm. Oh, I, oh, that last one was good too, dude. Taking risks <laughs> we got is the some safest paradox thing. In there. That's a paradox. Yeah, look at that. Damn, you're good, man. You're good. And that's all on the fly. That was cool. You didn't plan it yet. Uh, I I agree with Tucker. So yeah, the thing I'm saying is a subset of what Tucker is saying. Uh, in that uh, people like have an idea of what like a presentation or speech or should should sound like the the tone, the the cadence, the delivery, and that is ruinous. And the same thing when people do stand up. Um, I was just helping my friend who signed up for a stand-up comedy class last night. So many things happened last night. Every All of my anecdotes happened within the last 24 hours. Anything beyond that, I don't have any recollection. But I was helping her, and she has a graduation show today. So she has her first time doing stand-up. Uh, and then she's like, okay, I'm pitching you some jokes. And the first one started with, so I'm on the dating apps. And I was like, no, Shway, that is not how you talk. That is not how you talk. That is your idea of what... You think a stand-up talks like, so I'm on the dating apps, the fuck out of here. That, that's not, I've, ta- I've known you so well, Shway. And she, uh, she's like, okay, so we got it, we got it to, to be more her voice. Um, rather than what you think a person doing that role should sound like. Because um, yeah, everybody giving a business Uh-oh. presentation sounds like they're trying to win a fucking Toastmasters competition and all of that sucks. It, I've Toastmasters sucks so much. I mean, it's better than nothing. I'm glad those people are doing something to practice. Um, but leading into the idiosyncrasies of your own speech patterns and wh- how you authentically deliver something is exactly like what Tucker said. It's like, sure, it's a risk, but that's like, that's the, the safest. That's what you want to do. Otherwise, you're completely forgettable. It's just... And, and the, maybe there are some people... I feel this so strongly when somebody gives a speech that sounds like a speech. Like you're talking to them, like regular. And then they're like, got to give a speech. Then they get on stage and then they sound like a different guy. Nothing makes me more furious than that. I tune it up com- completely. It's, it's really hard to listen to when something's like that. Uh, it like triggers this like I, I think it's reptilian. It's like an animal reflex thing where it's like this two-faced person, right? It's like my guard is up now because they're lying in one of those versions. Like one is not real, uh, and that I'm really sensitive to that phenomenon. I think people, other people, less so, but I believe it exists in everybody. I believe that people feel this thing. You talked both about this concept, which just to tooth my own horn for like five seconds we've been doing all the post graduates interviews uh, for the for the last certification round and something that came up was how how natural the community felt within six weeks it was a long time to spend together and never felt like there was any rush or anything felt forced and it's because they talk a lot with me there's other teachers but the alumni there's a lot of me and and obviously that's how I come across. How I am is how I am. And they said that that's what really made it special and unique because they actually wanted to listen to us for an hour and a half, like after working hours. So this is, yes, a bit of a, of a, of a recollection and like a appreciation for all the work that we've done, but also reminds me of what you both mentioned in a way, which is 
one, people will feed off your energy, and two, people will see when you are you, when you're real, when you are just the way you are, you will keep them engaged because you're going to put your best energy forward. Like, just to spoil it for anybody else who will graduate in the future, we do put on Queen at the end of the graduation, and then we sing, and I get every single student to sing, and they look at me funny, but then all of them do it afterwards, because this is the energy they feel confident, making fool of themselves for about five seconds. And that's what I want them to feel like. And um, it doesn't mean you have to do it in your presentations, by the way, just in case anybody wants to kind of blast off Freddie Mercury. It's not that. But it's a reminder that feeding in what your energy is like can be really powerful. So thank you for reminding us of that because sometimes we forget that. It's like finding that balance between showing up but also showing up as yourself. Yeah, you've been yourself this whole time. There's a very distinct... I, I feel you being yourself. You have a distinct way of talking and you're not... This isn't like... Sure this is the way a podcast should be done. It's cool. It feels, it makes me feel better too. It makes it more fun for me. Yay. Okay. Our job is done. I'm not Yeah. Because I want to know how can people get more of this goodness? I mean, not, not, not this goodness. How can people make more of your goodness? That's better. Uh, how can they get involved when the course comes up, when they can join you and learn how to go from idea to magic or to ovation? Obviously, that's the name of the course. So who would like to give us the spiel? Let us know a bit more before we leave. Idea to magic. Whoa. That's, uh, that's one of the names we consigned to the waste bin when we were, when we were brainstorming. Go to our Maven landing page. Tucker, do you know the URL off from uh, the... By heart? Yes. Maven.com slash idea dash to dash ovation. You know what? It's it's probably easiest to just go to maven.com and then look for it there from idea to ovation. The the full URL is maven.com slash unemployable slash from dash idea dash to dash ovation. So yeah, that's right. That's right. Or the show notes. There's the show notes too. It's gonna be in the show notes. So uh, show notes. scroll right. down, click on that too. Go to the show notes. <laughs> Yeah. So, what? Just quick question on that. Um, do you kind of know how long roughly it is? What does it cover? If you can give us like a thirty seconds kind of idea of what is entailed in that. Absolutely. So we're looking at about four sessions right now. Going to you know decide whether or not to con condense that into three or to keep it as four. But we'll be talking about uh, how to create one-liners sort of uh, advanced mechanics in storytelling that relate to both poetry and comedy and uh, performance mastery, how to be as confident as possible and as engaging as possible when we're on stage. There'll be a couple of other good little little foibles, little good uh, other learnings that are thrown in there, but those are the three main modules that we're gonna be covering in the in the session. Right, and, and the mechanism that you'll be using to learn these things is taking an idea you have can be rough or something you've been thinking about for a long time and filtering it through the specific mechanisms that we'll be teaching you so that by the end you have the same idea but it's now full of uh poetry and comedy and story and and ideally infinitely more engaging than what you started with thank you so much for listening head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class if you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spread the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time.